0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A uh, very warm welcome to Squawk Box this Thursday morning. These are your headlines. U.S. markets hitting fresh highs and the S&P briefly crossing the 3000 level after Fed Chair Jerome Powell sets the stage for an insurance cut this
1: month. Based on incoming data and other developments, it appears that uncertainties around trade tensions and concerns about the strength of the global economy continue to weigh on the U.S. economic outlook.
0: While President Trump launching a probe into France's proposed tax on tech firms sparking concerns the move could lead to more tariffs between the U.S. and Europe.
2: Tensions build between Tehran and the West after Iranian boats reportedly tried to seize a British tanker in the Strait of Hormuz, while President Trump threatens more sanctions. Oil prices hit their highest level in six weeks as producers in the Gulf of Mexico cut their output ahead of what could be the first major storm of hurricane
3: season. And at this hour, Boris Johnson comes under fire from failing to back Kim Derrick after the British ambassador to the U.S. resigns. More potential plans for, more potential pain for Deutsche Bank following a report. The U.S. is investigating the German lender over its dealings with Malaysia's 1MDB. And as riders prepare for one of the hardest days of the Tour de France, we'll be live from Stage 6.
0: Right, you can tell it's exciting for the markets if we've all got to the wall as well. But, um, shame Jeff's not here as well. I could tower above him. Anyway, uh, cross currents, <laughs> he'll hate me for that. Uh, did you see what he tweeted yesterday?
4: No, I didn't.
0: He's been in Hong Kong, yeah? Right. And he said at the end of it, after he, on his last day, he said, You guys are the best. I felt like saying oh, hello. Holy. Hello. Has he forgotten? Mr. Exactly. I'll anyway, really he's still welcome back here despite those comments. Uh, they are the best, though. They're a great team. Uh, cross currents have re emerged in the global economy, according. According to Jerome Powell, who reiterated to U.S. lawmakers the Fed will, quote, act as appropriate to sustain the current economic expansion. Powell's testimony on Capitol Hill raised market expectations of a rate cut at the Fed's July meeting. Minutes from the Fed's June meeting also showed that members saw a strengthening case for a rate cut in the, quote, near term. Mr. Powell pointed to global macro issues as a cause for concern.
1: We see the economy as being in a good place, and uh, we're committed to using our tools to keep it there. Um, as we've discussed, the, the overall economy is, is performing reasonably well, but, but we see uh, what we've called cross-currents, principally uh, trade developments and concerns over global growth. And we see those, and uh, uh, significant uh, many FOMC participants at the last meeting saw those as weighing on, on the outlook and calling for possibly more accommodative policy.
3: The Fed chair was also asked about Friday's strong non-farm payroll figures and whether the data had changed his mind on rates in the near term.
1: A straight answer to your question is no. In the United States, we did get a, a job job report that was positive, and uh, that's, that's great news. And we had some other reasonably good news. I would say the U.S. data came in about as expected. The bottom line for me is that the uncertainties around global growth and trade continue to weigh on the outlook. In addition, inflation uh, continues to be muted, and, and those things are still in place.
2: The market reaction on the back of power. Well, we saw interday records on all of the major indices from the S&P to the Nasdaq, the Dow. Only the Nasdaq holding out a record territory. But when it comes to the S&P, we got through that 3,000 point mark at one point in the session pulling back uh, off those handles or those levels. And you could see seven points shy of 3,000 points, but still a very strong session playing out. You might be asking what areas of the market did the money go into. That risk on area, communications, which houses mainly the big technology names, that was well and truly out in front. Energy also picking up in trade. Some of that also down to the inventory data, but still a very strong component of the market. Like clockwork, though, other areas uh, across the board, you saw the ripple effect, the US dollar coming off some of the peaks that we've had recently On the trade, so falling. And you can see this morning that continues the case down a quarter of 1%, 96.86 on the dollar index trade. Yields, we also saw some movement across the curve. The two year one point, 1.87 is what was clocked up. And you can see 1.81 in the morning session. So we have drifted south on that yield. And on the 10 year, 2.04%, the level we are now hugging. So the question is around whether we get a rate cut this month, three weeks' time. Uh, I think the the bet is very much on that we will have a rate cut. But how much? Because some are still weighing up whether there'll be a 50 basis point reduction or a 25 basis point cut.
0: Look, I, I want to strip this back to a different level. I've been thinking long and hard if there was any value at all I could add here before we get to our expert, Guy Steer, who's waiting to talk to us as well. And, and the answer is probably no. But I want to have an attempt at just looking at this a very pure level. What is it all about with interest rates? Interest rates are uh, a measure of how much it costs you to borrow money, yeah? And the reason why you raise interest rates, if too many people are borrowing money and you think you need to slow down the economy or take a little bit of heat out, take some inflation out of the market, or the reason you cut interest rates is because people may be struggling to borrow money. Yeah, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Make it easier for them to borrow money at a cheaper rate. Who's struggling to borrow money? I mean that. Who's struggling to borrow money? Who can't borrow as much money as they want at the moment in the US economy? So I've taken it down even purer and I've looked at three different types of people who'd be borrowing money. Governments, corporates, individuals, human, human beings, the real people in the economy, not, not the, the people above. So let's go through this, yeah? The US government, is it struggling to borrow money? I don't think so. The US yields, as we've been seeing there, are incredibly low. Take a look at that two-year lo- yield as well. Take a look at the 10-year yield. They're not problems historically. In fact, the US government is borrowing money to the tune of 22.5 trillion US dollars. I just checked the number on the US public debt clock. So. so not the US government. They're not having a problem borrowing money. Are the corporates having a problem borrowing money? Do you know what the corporate debt level was in 2007? Just before the big bubble, which actually used to be called the, uh, the debt crisis before it be called the GFC. The US is borrowing at corporate level, 4.9 trillion US dollars, yeah? What do you think it's borrowing now? About that? No, wrong, double. Nine trillion dollars plus. So it's not the corporates <laughs> that are having problems. Hang on a second, I'm finished. I'm, I'm getting into my mill rant. I'm getting building up. I'm building up here, Karen. <laughs> don't interrupt. It's taken a while, but I don't care. So, so the government's not having problems. The corporates aren't having problems. What about individuals? Did you see the consumer debt figures up another seventeen point one billion dollars in May? Oh, plus. Hang on a second. Oh, but that's just credit cards. Yeah. What about their mortgages? So I tell you what, the mortgage rate is. Yeah, I tell you, back in November 2018, it was 4.95. Yeah, 4.94 was the average 30-year mortgage rate. That's what people borrow in the United yeah. States, yeah? It's now 3.75. So just to recap, very quickly, who can't borrow money? Is it the government? Is it the corporates? Is it the individuals? No. So why are we doing this? Well, I'm going to chuck out an idea here. Is it for markets? Or is it for a president? I leave that.
2: I'll throw an incentive. I mean, you've got a whole bunch of businesses, corporates, effectively now on the sidelines, not sure what sort of decisions they can could make at this point because you've got a trade war playing out. So they're just putting off investment. So the incentive that Jay Powell... And his members of the Fed are trying to bring but they're not into the putting market. money. Well, they're trying to encourage people to invest in workers and maybe push up salaries and just drag people off the sidelines because there's a hiatus in decision making. And that's been the problem that's been well and truly flagged up. And that testimony yesterday, uncertainty is causing a pause for thought. And that pause unfortunately comes at the wrong time in the cycle. As you're seeing the very long economic cycle, there are concerns that you might actually tip this economy into recession because of that pause. And I think this incentive that's uh, been delivered now to markets to get back in the game is what the, the Fed is hoping will be encouraging people to. This is the great lie,
0: this is the great lie that companies are borrowing money to invest in capex, to invest in workers. They may be at the margin, but they're investing. In, they're buy, borrowing money to buy back their own mm. debt. We've all seen the ratios, and we know it. And Jerome Powell knows it. Sorry,
3: they're Jerome. not investing in capex. To your point, and that's because they're held back by the uncertainty and that word that was all over the outlook from Jerome. Powell Howell yesterday isn't going to change with lower rates. So to your point about what is the purpose of lowering rates right now, the idea that this would lead to higher capex, higher investment spend, when all the uncertainties in the global environment exist that he highlighted seems very unlikely. Can I throw another one in the dollar? What happens to the dollar? I mean, typically there can be
2: a correlation between the dollar and an interest rate cut because of the yield story, but it's not always been the case. And none of the big investment banks have been going right through the history books to see whether there could be some dollar implications. And don't forget, there's been a fight playing out between Washington and other countries about what you've got in terms of uh, a lower currency, whether it's the Yuan, whether it's the Euro, whether it's the Japanese yen. So whether this is a trigger for the lower dollar trade, it will be quite fascinating to see how it plays out. 96.86, as you can see on the boards. Meantime, President Trump has spoken, or been an outspoken critic of the Federal Reserve in recent months, repeatedly calling for an interest rate cut. The chair of the House Financial Services Committee, Maxine Waters, raised the presence criticism with
3: Powell. Mr. Chairman, if you got a call from the president uh, today or tomorrow and he said, I'm firing you, pack up, it's time to go, what
1: would you do? Well, of course, I would not do that. I can't hear you. (laughs) (laughs) My answer would be no.
3: And you would not pack up and you would not leave? No, ma'am. Uh, because you think the president doesn't have the authority? Is that why you would not leave?
1: I have um, I've kind of said what, I, uh, what I've intended to say on the subject. Uh, and what I've said is that the law clearly gives me a four-year term, and I fully intend to serve it.
0: I'm delighted to say Guy Steers with us, head of fixed income research at Societe Generale. Um, Guy, what are you and the, and the ladies and gentlemen at uh, SOCGEN saying about the current rate environment and what the Fed needs to do or doesn't need to do?
4: Well, I think the Fed uh, is going to cut rates. I mean, that's pretty clear from the testimony we've had yesterday. Your question is, do they need to do it in terms of stimulating the economy? I would say I think that their concern is you could see this as a rate cut or monetary action to preclude economic weakness. As you mentioned, debt has gone up a lot since the global financial crisis in the last 10 years. What they don't want is people to borrow less. What they don't want is the economy to slow down. Uh, and so are the monetary changes that they're doing now are to make sure or to, to hopefully make to preclude a, a slowdown in terms of the economy. So I think they will cut soon. And I think even if they do cut, uh, whether they do cut or not, the growth uh, worries will persist. So what will happen really is it's the long end, the 10 year of the uh, U.S. yield curve, which is going to be coming down over the next 12 months.
2: What jumped out to me yesterday was whether the Fed has now strayed into this path of not just being the Federal Reserve for the United States of America, but the Federal Reserve for the rest of the world. And that's been a debate we've had over the last number of years since the financial crisis. And it feels like that was the decision that came through in the testimony that they are looking at the weakness in, in Europe, they're looking at the weakness across some of the, the EM countries. And they're saying, well, we're going to take action because we're going to shore up world growth.
4: Right. Well, that, that's real change. I mean, it used to be the dictum used to be the dollar is our currency and your problem. Uh, now it's much more that we are that we look at the problems in the rest of the world and we see how they could affect us. So you're right. I think, though, that what was probably more, what, what really concerns them more is two things. First of all, very low inflation expectations in the U.S. And we see those across the world, too. Very low inflation expectations, but but they've been falling in the U.S. And then the second thing is concerns about whether business investment is beginning to flag. And that's what they definitely don't want to have domestically. Whether it's a question of making money cheaper or whether it's a question of concerns about trade, uh, which will have more of an impact, you could uh, you could argue the case. But I think that they think, given the tools that they have, maybe making monetary easing would encourage a bit more business investment.
3: But CapEx is suffering. It, it is an issue. And yes, this is going to, as you say, perhaps keep the spending at levels where it currently stands, keep borrowing where it stands, not necessarily accelerate it. But Ultimately, the uncertainty that is keeping businesses uh, back from investing is out of the Fed's control.
4: Well, that's that's correct. I mean, I think uh, you have to have clarity in terms of the trade policy to know what kind of investments to make and where to invest. I mean, you could build the case for saying if you're going to go to a world where we're going to break global supply chains, then there would have to be much, much more investment done within the U.S. So the numbers that you've been talking about in terms of corporate investment could arguably get a whole lot bigger in the next five years if those supply chains have to be brought back to the US.
0: So there is no shortage of money at current US interest rates for the global economy. I mean. Tying different stories together, we have talked already this week about the $2.5 trillion that private equity is looking to invest. And let's be honest about it. They would probably look to invest a lion's share of that in the United (laughs) States if they see the valuation opportunity. I just did another exercise as well. I just tapped into words US corporate credit into uh, Google. And I haven't put any nuance on that. I didn't put danger, time bomb, whatever. These are the the stories I found.
3: (laughs) You really didn't put
2: time bomb in there.
0: No, I did. I put nothing. I literally just wrote U.S. corporate credit. Do it as an exercise, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, These five charts warn that the U.S. corporate debt is getting out of control. Nine trillion corporate debt bomb is bubbling away in the U.S. economy. U.S. is experiencing a dangerous corporate debt bubble. Forbes, investors flee risky U.S. corporate debt, financial times, Um, etc., 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 Why does anyone think that corporates have not got enough money and enough cheap money at the moment to do the job they need to do in the U.S. economy? This is absolutely banal. And we're creating the next major crisis, aren't we? Well,
4: you could argue that we've already created it because as Uh, you say... okay, let me me go there. We have already created it. There you go. There's been that big big increase. And I think one of the, the telling figures, as you say, you've looked at the gross debt figures, they've broadly doubled. Uh, if you look at debt to assets, that's back to in the non financial. What
0: about cash to debt? Have you seen that one?
4: Yeah, those cash levels are at their lowest, yeah. lowest
0: we've seen in many cycles.
4: Yeah. So, so all these figures tell you that there's an awful lot, a huge increase in balance sheet leverage. Thank
0: goodness we're seeing about a trillion dollars of buybacks every year. That's a good place to put the money, isn't it? I'm sorry, Guy. I'm just finding this very difficult <laughs> to. Uh, is there any value in the fixed income market?
4: Well, for, uh, let me just go back to one of the headlines. You say corporate, yeah. uh, so investors fleeing the corporate debt markets. I don't know when that was written but certainly not probably not in the last three months because on the contrary what we've seen is loads and loads of money spilling into the corporate debt markets uh, because if you compare the yields that you're getting on corporate debt versus the yields that you're getting on uh, government debt the corporate debt markets look an awful lot more attractive so I think that there's there's been a a great deal of demand from the investor base in terms of corporate debt and that's going to persist when everything else is uh, yielding uh, negative levels I mean there was a one figure that one of my colleagues was talking about yesterday was that the covered bond market in Europe at the moment, three-quarters of the bonds in the indices are offering negative yields. So under that kind of environment, uh, certainly uh, most fixed asset products don't look very attractive.
0: How about, how about this one? I appreciate it's coming from The Guardian. so. Take it with a pinch of salt, center left, okay, if anyone's looking. Well, centrist, I think, really. But anyway, corporate borrowing poses a danger to the global financial system and could trigger a crisis in the same way that U.S. subprime mortgages sparked the 2008 banking crisis. This is from the BIS.
3: Mm. On that note, Powell was asked yesterday in the testimony about heightened levels of corporate borrowing, and he said that leveraged lending shouldn't be compared to pre-crisis because a lot of the lending doesn't sit with banks. It's located in mutual funds, hedge funds. Is that a fair argument? Well,
0: it's it's not a fair argument because
3: if the debt's there, the debt's
0: there, and everyone's going to be affected by the cycle, surely, Guy?
4: I think everyone will be affected. It, It will ripple through the system in different ways. When the crisis happens... Uh, it will ripple through the system. I mean, whether you have uh, hits directly to, uh, to, to mutual funds, I suppose it's probably worse when it's sitting in the banking system because then we in transactional banking, if banks are in trouble, you have bank runs. But nonetheless, in mutual funds, it's going to cause a lot of pain. The thing is that what triggers a credit crisis is not high levels of debt, but when it, you combine high levels of debt with slower economic growth. When the economy starts to slow down, that's when the corporate crisis is triggered see
0: so, so here's my worry what also creates is, is inability to finance those loans and, and because we are creating and at every single level and this is like basic 101 economics we're creating so much debt at a the lowest level that rates have ever been mm. vast amounts of it at lowest level we've ever seen rates pretty much in, in history that when that we have even the smallest rate hikes, the ability of the market to absorb those, or the ability of the uh, the pays of that debt, of the interest on that, to uh, facilitate the interest payments and loan payments is much, much more difficult because there is so much more debt. And so the the, 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 the market reaction to even the smallest rate
4: moves is much bigger than it would have been previously. Well, well, I have to say I would be less concerned about rate hikes than I would be about economic growth slowing down. Yeah. So if interest rates are going up, that's because the economy is doing better. If the economy is doing better, then companies operating cash flow is going up. If companies operating cash flow is going up, then they have an ability to meet their interest payments because their operating cash flow will be rising faster than interest rates going uh, until up. Until
0: you get to the extreme where interest rates go up because people are so worried about lending to anyone that they actually want a higher rate to, to offset those yeah, concerns. That's, that's, a that's a different when, product. That, that's yeah, that, a diff- but that's, that's a, diff- a different part of the curve when yeah. we really start worrying about the economy. So you're
4: right to say why are interest rates going up? Is it because government yields, risk-free yields are rising? Under that condition, I'm generally not worried. Mm. Are interest rates going up because risk premium are going up? Well, then yes, that's clearly a worry because that that's a reflection of the fact that people can't probably meet their interest payments. Just to come back to that, though, I think the other thing to keep in mind is that borrowing costs adjust much more slowly than interest rates. Remember that a typical company is borrowing for five years. Mm. If uh, their interest costs are rising, if interest costs rise by 1%, they're only rolling over a fifth of their debt. So their interest costs are only rising by 20 basis points. So it's a slow process in terms of the rise and fall of their overall interest costs. Loving
0: your work, Guy. We're going to stay if you can get some trade ideas in a few moments. time. just going to break this reassure story. Um, I say break this reassure story. It's been milling around for quite a while, in fact, so long, in fact. That dear old Jeffrey, who we've mentioned a couple of times today, who's actually gone to Zurich up and been probing the CFO, going, are you going to do this Reassure IPO? And that was only, I think, about a month ago, Jeff was doing that as well. It's been, uh, better, been do the the to- better do the story. Better do the story, then please go in. Uh, Swiss Re has said uh, they're not, for the moment, uh, going to be... Um, uh, having the Reassure IPO in UK, which is their UK life assurance operations. Swiss Re CFO has said there's no pressing need for Swiss Re to divest shares at a price we consider to be unrepresentative of Reassure's value and future prospects. Basically, there doesn't seem to be the appetite. Sorry, Yeah, as as I
2: was going to say, the environment, you think, would be a little bit easier given everything we've just uh, been talking about with free money out there and record levels on some stock markets?
0: Um, Absolutely. Right, we're going to come back to Guy in a moment, but coming up on the show also, President Trump takes aim at... Who does he take aim at this time? Ah, it's France's proposed digital tax, calling it unfair. We'll bring you the details next. A CNBC signature event.
3: Welcome back to Squawk Box. President Trump has ordered an investigation into France's proposed tax on big tech. The trade office says Paris is unfairly targeting U.S. companies. The year-long probe could result in tariffs or other trade restrictions. Now, Elizabeth Schultze joins us around the desk. Elizabeth, we've watched this whole, uh, this whole saga around the digital tax unfold over the last year. France has tried to rally other European countries around them for this. They ultimately stand alone and are now facing the same investigation from the US that led to tariffs in a number of cases. So uh, lay it out for us, uh, what is likely to happen now and what does this mean for France?
5: That's right. So another instance of tech sort of being caught in the in the trade tensions here. And essentially what the US trade representative is saying is that they think that this digital tax that's proposed by france is unfairly targeting u.s companies this digital tax was originally proposed officially in march it puts a three percent tax on the french revenues of about 30 companies mostly from the u.s we're talking about google facebook and amazon the point is to raise revenues in france and it only applies to companies who make at least 25 million euros there so it sort of default puts those major fang stocks in the mix here and ultimately it's one of several companies or countries working on a digital tax effort but france has certainly been one of the most outspoken countries on this we've certainly we've talked a lot about it on the show before so the question is who's going to ultimately win in this fight it looks like the u.s is going to take on some, you know, take it aside some of these companies. But I will say, it plays into this broader debate about whose job it is to take on big tech, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Google or Amazon. And we heard about this, not just on the digital text, but also yesterday in that Powell testimony. The first question, not about the economy, not about rate hikes, it was about Facebook's cryptocurrency, Libra. Maxine Waters kicking off the whole testimony yesterday with a question to, uh, to Jay Powell about how they're going to take on regulating Libra. And just take a listen to what Powell said.
1: Libra raises many serious concerns uh, regarding privacy, money laundering, consumer protection, and financial stability. Uh, These are concerns that should be thoroughly and publicly addressed before proceeding. And that's why, at the Fed, we've set up a working group uh, to focus on on this set of issues. We are coordinating with our our colleagues in the government in the United States, the the regulatory agencies and Treasury. We're coordinating with central banks and governments around the world to, to look into this.
5: So some pretty big concerns there when it comes to Facebook's cryptocurrency and just another effort to show how much scrutiny this company and other big tech companies are facing right now. It's
2: funny, the central banks themselves were looking at some form of digital coin. I mean, Bank of Canada was one, for instance. So you think they'd try and push forward with their initiatives and get ahead of the Facebook if they have concerns about other players coming in?
5: That's right. And we've heard a lot of efforts from other central banks. The Fed has been a little bit more hesitant on the digital currency efforts. And that's in part because essentially what the Fed says on this seems like other central banks will follow their lead. But there's a working group within the Fed that said it's examining this. It's certainly at top of the agenda right now.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com.
2: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.